Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm here at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm presenting Talking Design. I'm with uh, Professor Harriet Edquist, Director of RMIT Design Archives in Melbourne, who's one of the most interesting people I've had on my show previously, but she's having a new, uh, opening a new, the part of a new exhibition, putting together a new exhibition called Shifting Gear, which is a very exciting exhibition at the National Gallery of Victoria. Welcome to the show, Harriet. Thank you, Stephen. It's very nice to be here. You're such a fascinating person. You you put up these ideas, as you mentioned, and you probably think, oh, no one's going to take any notice of it. And then someone says, yes, that's a great idea for an exhibition. Yeah. How did it start? Well, it, it, um, it started because in 2010, we were given an archive by Phillips Mood, who was the first Australian uh, head of the design studio at GMH at Fisherman's Bend, General Motors Holden. And... Uh, He's quite a well-known car designer. I know nothing about cars. I don't drive. I'm not a car person. But I realised, looking at the drawings, that this was a really extraordinary archive and there was something in this whole area of car design that I didn't know about and I suspected lots of people didn't know about, that most people probably think Australian cars are designed somewhere else. And then, um, so that was sort of sitting in the back of my mind, and then a couple of colleagues from the Industrial Design Programme told me that as well as the great big, you know, the Fords and Holdens and Chryslers and what's Toyotas and so forth, there had also been in Melbourne this long tradition of limited production and one-off production cars. And they lent me a book on sports cars and specials, and I got completely hooked by this stage. And I thought, oh, there's an exhibition in here. And then I was given the opportunity to present some ideas around design to the National Gallery and the one that um, the director, Tony Elwood, and his team picked up on was the one on cars, shifting gear. And that's the one that we've gone with. They've never had cars at the interview Well, they've had, they've had cars. Like, for example, they had a Bugatti at the Bugatti show, Bugatti. and they had a car, I think, in the Art Deco show. But they've never had a car. I don't think any gallery, an art gallery, as opposed to a museum, um, in Australia has had a car show looking at the, the art and design of motor cars. What was the period that really inspired you to create this exhibition? 60s, 70s? What was, the, was there a certain car that you could almost imagine displayed at the NGV? No, nothing like that. Um, <laughs> when it happened, I just got right into the research. And so what I've put together... I mean, I have my favourites, obviously, but what I put together is it's basically a survey. It's a survey of 100 years, 110 years of local car design. And when I say local, what I mean is Victorian. I tried to keep it to Victoria. I mean, you have to be reasonably sort of... Um, parochial. Parochial, but also it, it is an exhibition of cars. We've got 23 cars, so we couldn't have every car. Um, but, however, you couldn't tell this story without going to South Australia. You just can't, because Victoria and South Australia are the big car manufacturers. And South Australia, of course, was the home of Holden. And um, we have a, um, a GMH car from that period, from Woodville in South Australia. But also... What period would that have been? It's the 1930s. Right. Um, and they were doing really, really interesting stuff in the 1930s. And um, then, of course, Chrysler was... Um, headquartered in South Australia, and you need the charger, you need the Valiant charger in a show. And um, 
then the other one I've got is a really interesting story about a guy called Gary Cooper, who mightn't be familiar to people. But in the late 50s, he started up his own um, sports car company out of his father's garage, and he designed, he's the biggest designer of sports cars and racing cars in the Southern Hemisphere in the 50s and 60s and 70s. He was a racing car driver, but not only that, he um, a lot of famous drivers like Frank Matic and so forth drove his cars. And he's a great story. I mean, he died very young, unfortunately, but so I had to have an elfin in there as well. So, um, it is pretty pretty localized. We do have you have to have a Brabham Repco Brabham his car that that Jack Brabham won the ninety the nineteen sixty six World Championship in, and that was designed by two New South Welshmen and a Victorian. Harriet, um, how would you put an exhibition like that together? When you've got your cars lined up, do you kind of line up your cars and then go out and actually search for them? Or do cars tend to come across in the research and then you say, well, we have to include this, we have to include that? How does it work? It's, well, it's actually, it's a bit of both. I mean, I, I did um, a really rapid scan of the literature, which is... Um, a bit sort of hair-raising the literature, but anyway. And it didn't take me terribly long to work out what the bones of the story were, um, the the cars you actually needed to tell the story. But then, for example, way into the project, when I'd pretty much, you know, done the research, I was talking to Matt Lombard, who's a fantastic bloke. He's the curator of the National Motor Museum at Birdwood in South Australia. And he said, have you got anything of Peter Arcadapane? And I said, who? He said, you need to know about this bloke. And so Peter... What, what period are we looking at, Harry? Well, Peter was... Um, he started off as a young man working for Holden in the 60s. He then moved to Ford. And he designed some concept cars for Ford, including a panel van. And out of those concepts and the bolt-on um, sort of aftermarket uh things that he designed that people could then add to their cars to make them look like the Concorde panel van. He designed the Interceptor for the Mad Max film, which is, is, you know, he's most famous for. But Peter left Australia and became head designer for Mercedes and designed some of their most famous models in the 1990s. And he's now chief designer in Beijing in the um, in an automotive um designing for a, a Chinese so mark. So he's he's had this incredible career. So you had to liaise with Peter and... Yes, yes, I got his email and he was very helpful. And because all of the information on the web, not all of it, a lot of it is incorrect and it's pretty feral. So I liked where the people were still alive. I liked to go to them and say, look, what did you design and when was it and so forth and try to get reasonably as accurate as I could because it's as much as anything else... I want to sort of really to begin um, the scholarly research of of Australian car design, you know, so that we are accurate about dates and people and who designed what and things. Harriet, Australian designers do tend to do things quite differently, whether it's yes. furniture, architecture or cars. What do you think Australian designers gave the industry that perhaps you wouldn't have found in America or anywhere else in the world? Um, I'm actually useless at answering questions like that, except that I think there's there's a couple of instances that I'll, I'll... One is we gave great engines, and we were fantastic engine designers in mid-century, and there's a particular bloke called Phil Irving who's become a bit of a hero of mine. He actually trained at RMIT in the 1920s as a mechanical and electrical engineer, and he designed some world-famous engines. And there is a certain 
everyone says it. It's a sort of cliche about Australia, but it is actually true. There's a certain practical no-nonsense business. You've got to get a car onto the racetrack. You've got to get it going damn fast. This is what you've got to do, and you do it. But the other thing I found out recently, which I haven't investigated, and I can only talk about it sort of in vague terms because I don't really understand, but the man, um, one of the members of the um, Society for Automotive Historians, which is an American um, setup, and he's Canadian, and he's just written a huge book on General Motors international operations, and he said, by far the best part of the research was Holden. Mm-hmm. And he said, you Australians just do things differently. And what it was, was in GM in Detroit, and I imagine it would definitely go for Ford, which is very hierarchical, um, is that it was the the separate bits of design, whether it be styling or production engineering or whatever, are all separate, and, and they are controlled as separate entities. In Australia, that didn't happen so much. They tended to talk to each other and work together, and we got we could put out models much faster than they could in America, and they were different. And he said, you just did t- top-of-the-range stuff, but you did it much more sort of effectively in a way and quicker, and you really irritated the bosses mm. because they couldn't control you. Why is and it? I think that's very... I mean, that sort yeah. of resonates with yeah. our view of ourselves, doesn't it, that we're these sort of larrickens sort of on well, the edge doing, well, I think what's doing stuff that our own way. Well, I think that's... I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, Australians do tend to jump in yeah. and then yeah. think, oh, there's a problem, we actually yeah. have to solve it. Yeah. Uh, we don't hand it on. But given how... Um, inspiring some of the designers from the car industry have been. Yes. Why is it that we're in so much trouble now in the car industry? Why is it that we don't have this amazing industry and it is dwindling? Uh, look, uh, that's a, a, such a complicated question which Sorry. I really can't answer. Um, there's some who would say the problem is that the industry, the large manufacturers are all foreign-owned and they really, in the end, they're bottom line to their people who are, who own their shares and so forth is what interests them. It's not Australia. Um, that's one answer. The other answer, um, the, the people in those industries will say, actually, well, design's not dying because design's global. And it is true that we've got great designers and they design, if they're working for the big companies, they are actually designing all around the world for those companies. And Based um, in Australia or overseas? In Australia. I mean, for example, um, this year... Uh, GMH won the concept car of the year in the North American um, car show, international car show, for the Buick Avenir, which won't be sold in Australia. It's a Buick, but it was designed at Fisherman's Bend. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and furthermore, the um, production car of the year was designed in Detroit, but by an Australian guy who's now head of design at Ford. So we have this enormous talent. That's not going to stop unless we stop educating them. The thing is, the problem is... If we don't have the um, the business here, the manufacturing here, then our students aren't going to get a chance to do internships and so forth. Mm-hmm. That's a worry. So I'm sort of fairly concerned about the educational side mm-hmm. of it. But there's a completely different story, which is that the industry is sort of on its last legs in a way because it's changing. It's sort of like some people say it's like the shift from the horse and carriage to the um, internal combustion motor is what's happening now. Mm-hmm. It's from the 20th century car, the iconic car, which is a 20th century design artefact, if you like. The 21st century car is going to... Or, um, um, 
uh, the, the way we're going to be mobile and the whole issue of mobility and transport in the 21st century will be completely different. And so the car will be a different thing. It'll be people like Tesla and, and Google are looking at putting together cars, electric cars. have got nothing to do with enormous plant, you know, that you have at Fisherman's Bend and this huge infrastructure that the old car manufacturers need. So... It's, I suppose it's also it's it, it's actually very exciting because we can play a big part in that. It's also um, going forward, a lot more people aren't using a car. You're exactly right. I don't have a car. No. You don't have a car. And also that <laughs> even in America they did a study mm. that there was a big um, spike in car um, uh, car sales after the GFC sort of mm. calmed down. But they weren't new car buyers. They were people upgrading from old cars, and young people are not buying cars. Mm. They're more interested in their bikes, bikes, but also more <laughs> interested in their digital, you know, sort of um, accoutrements. And it's a digital, it's a digital age, and the car is very mm. much, even to me when I look at it now, thinking about this, it does look a bit like a historic artifact, which means that they will become collectors' items mm. for art, art collectors. I think not just. You know, car enthusiasts. Harriet, the design archives is quite unique. You cover so many different yep. things. You yep. cover fashion, you cover um, architecture, you cover furniture. I mean, all those elements. So cars as well. Cars as well. How do you kind of look at the whole thing together? Like when you're looking at a car, mm. I know it's, it might sound a bit corny, but... In a sense, it's a bit like a house. Yes. You know, there's the furniture, the yes. upholstery, exactly. the spaces. yes. yes. How does it? How do you read things so disparate and put them all together in the one archive? Um, well, you just do. You, they get put in boxes <laughs> on shelves. <laughs> but it is very interesting that, and um, I haven't quite done it with cars yet. Well, no. Let's let's think about cars. I was just avoiding the question because mm-hmm. it's hard. Um, but it's easy for the other disciplines because they interact amazingly well. But even with cars, what I found in my research. Um, was that there was a moment in Melbourne in the after the war when we had proved that we were extremely good at putting together um, large objects like aeroplanes and tanks and so forth and designing them and getting them up and, and running. You know, I mean, we, we um, really showed our capacities during the war. We had to and we did it. And after the war... Um, Repco became a very interesting firm, and Repco dealt in car components, and it, it, it mm. sold them to the industry and so forth. But what happened was that the people in charge, including a man called Charles Dean, established in 1950 an R&D section, and Charles had Charles Dean had started building um, a special, a racing car special called the Maybach, and he built it around. A um, an old German Maybach engine that came out of a German personnel carrier that had been captured during the war. And the Maybach became this sensational racing car and quite mm. famous all around Australia. And even Maybach in Germany knew about the Maybach. And, um, but what, and so Repco sort of absorbed um, what Dean was doing with the Maybach because he was using their components. It was going out on the track and it was really promoting Repco as a, mm. as a as a business. And then during the 50s and 60s, they kept investing in research and innovation, if you like. They brought in this really famous engine designer called Phil Irving, I mentioned, 
And he, the first thing he did was to design a cylinder head for the Holden, the engine the Holden Holden used, which is a t- terribly tedious and boring engine, didn't really do very much. So he designed this cylinder head, which would actually make, give it a bit of grunt. And he um, designed a number of other things and then went on in the early 60s with Brabham and Repco and Frank Hallam and the other people in the engineering and uh, department to design these amazing racing engines mm-hmm. and uh, that went on, that Brabham used in the, um, the 60s in his world championship bids mm-hmm. in the 66, 67 and so forth. And so that Repco story, of course, Repco had all sorts of tentacles out into other, other um, businesses around Melbourne. And so you start to get, I've got quite fascinated with Repco. It's mm-hmm. bizarre. I mean, you know, engineering. And the drawings are really quite interesting, these sort of drawings of engines. You look at them and think, hmm. <laughs> So I think with automotive you get, you know, there's a whole way in which I think we can talk about, um, you know, things like that, what, what, how cars are put together, who puts them together, and the bits that are locally designed. That's what I'm interested in. Um, Harriet, what do you hope people will leave the exhibition with? I mean, it's not just for rev heads who've got, you know... No, no. It's a, it's a, a hot it's a, car in their garage. No, it's a different... Ex- what I think makes it different is, it's, as I say, it's a survey. There are 23 cars in it, and it brings together cars that usually are separate in um, in exhibitions. Like, we've got early ideas for um, the family car. There's a whole room about racing cars and specials. Then there's a room devoted to the muscle cars and the, you know, Ford and Holden... And then there's um, concept cars. Now, usually, so the people who are interested in the big production cars aren't that interested in in the one-off special racing cars and vice versa. So I've got them all in there together to show people the capacity of our um, of, of of what actually we did and we can do. So that's one thing I want people to understand: there is such a thing as automotive design that we we did do it. We were good at it. And the other thing is. Um, particularly if they buy the catalogue, I was really concerned to have biographies of the designers in there as you would in an architectural biography. So we've got biographies. So I'm hoping people start to learn the names of the important people. They become familiar mm. to us. Just like they, architects. Yeah. So if, if you're driving mm. a particular hold and you know who mm. who designed it, you know that um, Brian Smythe really had a big hand in the E49 Valiant Charger. Not not sole designer, but you know a major Australian part of that design team, and I think that's what I want people to go away with. Harriet, finally, what will happen with the twenty three cars that have been displayed? Where do you see them going afterwards? Well, just back to back to their owners, I would oh, imagine. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, we source these from all around the country, so they'll just go back to their so owners. you know people who I mean, and the racing cars race, so you know um, a couple of them actually have to leave the exhibition and go and race <laughs> and then come back again. So. Harriet, look, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I don't know how you cover so much territory (laughs) and why you say yes to so many things. I mean, you probably put your ideas forward thinking no one's going to take them up and then they do and then you Mm. think, oh, my God, what am I going to do do now? Oh, it keeps me busy. But thanks so much for coming on to the show. The um, exhibition Shifting Gear starts on the 6th of March Mm, and goes for... Till the 12th of July. 12th of July, so that gives you plenty of time mm. to actually see it from the 6th of March to the uh, 12th of July at the National Gallery of Victoria in Melbourne. So thanks so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. Thanks so much.